Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, You Belong to God. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, July 27, 2014. This past Easter in April, we had a baptism in our church. After the little boy rose from his third plunge beneath the waters, our priest made the sign of the cross on his forehead. As he did so, he recited those beautiful and powerful words, William, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ. You belong to God. The next day, he told his mother, I can still feel the cross. I hope it never comes off. Of course, the oily cross wore off his forehead, but not God's unconditional promise. William belongs to God forever, full stop. Nothing can ever change that. This baptismal promise echoes the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. You are my beloved son. Writing in the Huffington Post about the baptism of Jesus, Vicki Flippen of the Church of the Village in New York City says, I tell folks that baptism is the church declaring what has always been true that each one of us belongs to God and only to God. The child is claimed by God above all other claims. <clears throat> Many malignant forces try to name and claim us. Baptism reminds us that first and foremost, above and beyond all other claims, however legitimate or however oppressive, we belong to God. We don't belong to our boss or the bank. We don't belong to an abusive spouse or our addictive impulses. We're not defined by sickness, success, or failure. We don't belong to the political propagandist or the advertising industry. We're not the sum total of our poor choices, painful memories, or bad dreams. Even though it might feel like, look like, smell like, hurt like, you belong to all these other things, says Flippin. As sure as water is wet and God is good, I heard a voice out of the heavens say it, you belong to God. Our baptism can remind us that no one determines our worth in this world or in the next world other than God. Every person belongs to God. He created us. He cares for us. He calls us by name. You are my beloved. In the epistle this week from Romans 8, Paul describes our many weaknesses, and in our ignorance, we don't even know how to pray. 
He says we're oppressed by tribulations, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, and the sword. Paul contrasts two ways of relating to God. We don't relate to God as a slave who fears a master, but as a child who feels safe with a father. Abba, Father, Romans 8.15. Abba is the Aramaic word used by Jesus that means something like Papa. The word is used only three times in the New Testament. It conveys a shocking sense of human intimacy with a divine infinite. It's a word that little children first learning to speak use for their father and that Jesus himself used to speak to God in Mark 14, 36. We belong to God. We're his children. And so, says Paul, we cry out, Abba, Father. Because we belong to God as his children, we trust ourselves to his providential care. Paul writes those famous words in Romans 8:28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In his book, God's Universe, 2006, the Harvard astronomer Owen Gingrich writes about questions without answers. He gives an example from his own life. When Gingrich was 17, his only brother was killed by a car while delivering newspapers on his bike. Many decades later, in one of the last entries in his diary, Gingrich's devout Mennonite father still agonized over why God would allow such a tragedy to befall his teenage son. Similarly, in his own book, The Language of God, 2006, Francis Collins, former head of the Human Genome Project and now director of the National Institute of Health, writes about his daughter's rape and how it challenges his faith even today. Why did God not intervene to protect his daughter? Why was the perpetrator never caught? and brought to justice. We all have what Gingrich calls questions without answers. Paul would certainly agree, based upon his own apostolic experiences. But he was nonetheless adamant. We belong to God, and therefore nothing in all creation can separate us from the providential love of God. Romans 8.39. Our task, says the poet Christian Wyman, is not to ask for release or rescue, but rather that one's will be conformed to the will of God. And notice how Paul contrasts our two options, to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8.29, or conformed to the image of the world, Romans 12, verse 2.
trusting that we belong to God, that nothing can separate us from his providential care, and conforming ourselves to his will rather than the ways of the world. The greatest honor we can give Almighty God, says Juliana of Norwich, is to live gladly because of the knowledge of his love. For books this week, I review a memoir from Italy. The author is Eduardo Nessi, N-E-S-I. The title of his book, Story of My People. It's translated from the Italian by Anthony Shugar. New York, Other Press, 2010, 163 pages. Eduardo Nessi's people are the small-scale artisans of Prato, a city in Italy with a long history in the textile industry. He himself has what he called the predestined fate to inherit his family's third-generation textile business. Their factory was started by his grandfather, blown up by the Nazis, rebuilt after the war, then a few decades later, faced with the unforgiving market forces of globalization. By the turn of the millennium, their revenue declined year after year. And so, on September 7, 2004, they sold their family business. How and why did this happen? Feckless politicians and ivory tower economists seem to be clueless. Chinese immigrants in Prato, many of them illegal, played some role. So do customers who want Armani at Walmart prices. Nessie describes bankruptcies, layoffs, local demonstrations, and their own complicity. This book is a powerful combination of memoir, polemic, and social criticism. It shows the interconnections between personal identity, industrial manufacturing, the global economy, and local culture. Nessie's family history was the textile business, but his personal passion was always writing and filmmaking. He's published five novels and numerous translations into Italian, including David Foster Wallace's monster novel, Infinite Jest. This book won the 2011 Strega Prize, which is Italy's most prestigious literary prize. It was the first nonfiction book to do so, for Nessie's personal account of how globalization and the mantras of the free market have decimated Prato's textile community. Eduardo Nessi, Story of My People. For movies this week, I review a documentary called Sound City, 2013. I watched this film on Amazon Instant Video. Everyone agreed that Sound City in Van Nuys, California, 
was a dilapidated dump of a recording studio. The parking lot would flood. There was brown shag carpet on the walls. One musician saw it and said, I'm not sure we can record here. But in fact, many dozens of bands did record there, beginning with Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty, Neil Young, Kansas, The Grateful Dead, Santana, Johnny Cash, and many, many more. The platinum records on the wall attest to its central role in the history of rock music. But then, digital technology came along in the late 80s and almost put Sound City out of business. Were it not for a new recording by the band Nirvana, that bought them a little more time. The purists like Neil Young and Tom Petty longed to record in analog tape. They complained about digitalization that allowed amateurs to make music almost perfect. In the last 15 minutes of this documentary film, Paul McCartney comes back to Sound City to cut a record. He says, we don't know what we're doing, so we can do anything. And so for people like McCartney, all the digital simulation and manipulation is no substitute for the human element of making music. Documentary film, Sound City. And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted a poem, it's actually a prayer, by John Wesley. It's called The Covenant Prayer, and it fits nicely with the essay's theme of entrusting ourselves to God's providential love. Listen to John Wesley's covenant prayer. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee, or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I, am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, July 27, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.